Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a podcast with a taste of new albums and new artists. We interview up-and-coming jazz musicians, world-renowned jazz musicians, and everyone in between about their latest albums and share short clips of their music. Learn more at bitesizejazz.com or by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening. Let there be you. Today's guest on the podcast is the Grammy-nominated R&B and jazz vocalist Frida Payne. Frida got her start singing with big bands like Duke Ellington and Quincy Jones and landed her first record deal with Impulse Records. She later went on to record with the legendary producing team of Holland, Dozier, and Holland on Invictus, where she recorded Band of Gold. It was an instant hit in 1970, reaching number three in the U.S. and number one in the U.K. for six consecutive weeks and eventually selling two million copies. She's recently released a new album in the jazz vein and a book, which she'll tell us more about. So let's welcome her to the show. Hi, I'm Frida Payne, and I just released my new album, a CD, and it's called Let There Be Love. In addition to that, I've also got my first book, my first memoir that I ever did, finally, you know, uh, and that's, that's coming out November the 2nd. And uh, that's called, it's going to be titled Band of Gold, a memoir by Frida Payne and Mark Vigo. The reason why it's called Band of Gold, well, guess what? I had a a big hit record. My biggest hit that I'm known for is called Band of Gold, which was recorded and and was released in 1970, way before you were born stephanie <laughs> it's and, a great song uh, though great song no matter no matter what age <laughs> yeah it's still icon it's iconic it's still around it's uh it's in rolling stone it's like they consider it one of the let's say for the 70s i think it's like one of the best songs in in a category of i think it's like a hundred hundred top songs yeah were you were you expecting that when you recorded it heck no uh, no i never expected that Uh, I was just recording because I decided being that I came from a jazz background, you know, more cabaret, jazz, all that, you know, working in supper clubs. I basically, you know, got to, you know, sign with a label that was known for, well, this was a label that had just started. They barely had just got off the ground and uh, it's called Invictus. They're, They're no longer around now, but Invictus was started by, uh, some producers, that were the songwriter producers from Motown. And they were the ones who came up with Barry Gordy Jr. on the ground from the inception of the label. And I also knew them. I knew Eddie Holland, Brian Holland, Lamont Dozier Sr. I knew Lamont. I went to school with Lamont, like middle school from the seventh grade through the ninth grade. And and then I went to school with Brian. We had a couple of classes in high school together back in Detroit, Central What a high. small world. Yeah, very small world. And then Eddie, I had met Eddie when I was only 14 and he was 17. And that's because uh, Barry Gordy brought him to my home back in Detroit. This was when Barry was courting, was trying to get me to, uh, you know, sign with him. Uh, and this was before he even launched Motown. We're going back to the 50s, kid. <laughs> this, is call, this is ancient history. You you I were one it. of the originals. I'm one of the originals. I've been around. Of course, I'm a senior. I'm in my 70s. I'm, I'm in my late 70s, and I'm still singing, and I'm still 
uh, traveling and going out there. That's pretty good. Well, that speaks to a lot. You must have some pretty good like vocal health techniques because to be able to put an album this good, you know, even after all these years of singing, I mean, how did you do that? I just, it just maintained. Well, basically I have to say that I've lived a pretty uh, healthy lifestyle. I kind of like divorced myself from, you know, all the other uh, activities back when I was in my twenties and, uh, or even into my early thirties, I, you know, I did things like, you know, maybe drinking or maybe some, a little bit of like smoking marijuana or what like that or stuff like that. I kind of like backed off of that stuff uh, because I realized that, that it wasn't helping my voice. It wasn't contributing to me being a better singer. And uh, I, so I don't indulge like that, but I do drink alcohol. I mean, I drink, I love my wine. I love wine. I love champagne, you know, and stuff like that and, and a cocktail or two now and then, but with, but with reservation, I never go, I don't, you know, you learn, you learn from your young years when to stop or you learn how much you can tolerate. And as you get older, you can't, you, you can't, you can't tolerate it as much. It's like now, if I can, I can only do with a glass of wine. I can't do with three or four glasses of wine. You know, I can just mm-hmm. maybe, and then sometimes just a half a glass will do. Yeah. Well, that's good. Cause I mean, your body is your instrument. So you have to take care of it. I think maybe some people kind of separate the music from the rest of their lifestyle, but they're really interconnected. Right. And so, um, you know, going back to this album that you've recorded, um, I want to dive a little bit deeper into each track and maybe talk a little bit about the process of recording each one and working with that particular artist. Um, so okay. let's just start at the beginning. Uh, Let There Be Love with Kenny Lattimore. So what was the process like in the studio? What were some of your favorite aspects of that song? I knew Kenny Lattimore. We had a mutual friend and I was able to, to um, get Kenny Lattimore because of that relationship. And uh, he agreed, of course. And then the arrangement was done by Gordon Goodwin. Now, Gordon Goodwin first presented his first take on the song, which was just a standard arrangement, you know. Um, and when I, when I heard it, I said, you know what, Gordon? This duet is with Kenny Lattimore, who is a really great vocalist with some great R&B jazz chops. I want you to put some, I want it to be more funky. I want put some spice in it. I want it to be more funky and more jazzy. And he went back and rearranged it and came up with the arrangement the way, the way you hear it now. So that, I guess, just, just have to tell you that. And awesome. uh, that, was, that was my idea, you know, to, to change it like that. And I gave him the, the, the whole thing, the, how I want it to sound, what he had to do to put, I said, put some funk in it. That's exactly what I said. Let there be birds to sing in the tree. Someone to bless me whenever I sleep. Let there be cuckoos, a lock and a dove. But first of all, please. recording they can't take that away from me with johnny mathis oh boy that was a dream that when i say a dream that was a dream because 
Johnny just doesn't do duets with everybody or anybody. You know, he's very, he's selective. And, and of course, he's done many duets. You know, there's Denise Williams, Dionne Warwick, and there's some other people he's done duets with, but I think maybe Buck Streisand. Anyway, yeah, well, Johnny Mathis himself is, is like an institution, I'll put it this way. He's a national treasure. Uh, he's been around since we're going back to the like late 50s into the 60s, 70s. And he's been recording and he's been, a, um, you know, a person who's just been out there and, and a star, a recording star for all these years. So just to get him to say, yes, he would do it for me. That was just a real blessing. I'll put it this way, a blessing. And uh, he was, he was so nice and so sweet. I had met Johnny on different occasions and he, all, and he was always very sweet and kind to me. And uh, so this was like something that I I'll always treasure for the rest of my life, doing this duet with him. And he came into the studio. He was at, right after Kenny, Kenny Lattimore. And, and then he came walking into the studio and he had just come from the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, like he was so he was kind of relaxed and just, you know, kind of free and easy. And and we sat side by side in this in the control booth and the recording booth and with our, you know, looking at our sheet music, our uh, you know, because it was it was arranged. It was everything was very specific, you know, like, you know, where the rest are gonna be, where the pauses are gonna be, and all this kind of stuff. And um that's how we that was my experience with Johnny Mathis. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was fun. It was like that whole day, I mean, was sort of like a dream come true. Still I'll always, always keep the memory of the way you hold your knife. The way we dance till the way you changed my life No, no, they can't take that away from me No, they can't take that away from me And in your arrangement, uh, the arrangement he did of It's Alright With Me, you guys had this cool trading off between you scatting and the band playing. That was really oh. awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was wonderful. It gave me a chance to do my thing. Of course, I did it again with uh, with Kurt Elling. But this time it was just me. And uh, and, and then I liked the, what he did. He said, oh, I want you to do this. I want you to copy the band, you know, with your scat and and do your thing. And that's what I did. And then you talked a little bit about singing with Dee Dee Bridgewater on Monin and Doodlin. Um, so was that your decision to put those two songs together or was that something that Gordon Goodwin came up with? No, this was entirely all me. I did. I'm the one that came up with the with the idea to do Monin and Doodlin. 
and I gave it to him. I said, I said, Gordon, I want you to do arrangement because I'm doing this duet with Didi. And I want to do moaning and doodling because I hear them almost intersecting together. I want them to intersect together. That's how I heard it. And uh, harmonically and chord wise, the structure, it could be done. So he merged them together. I start out singing moaning by myself. Then do D, then D.D. Bridgewater comes in singing doodling. And then it kind of like we intersperse it together a little bit. And then mm-hmm. we end it all on one note. <laughs> Every morning finds me moaning. Using the phone booth, making a few calls. Doodling weird things, using the booth wall. Every morning finds me moaning. Got me a big date, waiting for my chap. Putting his fine on so he can look dap. Enjoy procrastinating Cause I'm busy while I'm waiting Doodling away Every morning finds me And then the last one, Our Love is Here to Stay with Kurt Elling. Oh, I love Kurt. I love his voice. And I love him too. I think he's, I think he's a sexy man. <laughs> so, I mean, it comes out in his voice. What do you think? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one. Yeah. So anyway, I start out singing and then he comes and I sing a chorus, then he sings a chorus, and then we, and then the tempo changes, the tempo changes, and it, and then it kind of like a little swingy, a little bit, swings a little bit. And then I come in, and then he comes, and that's when we just let it, we just let it go, we just let it go all out. Oh, I have to mention, this album was done because we had to have, I wasn't with a label at the time. So we had to have a executive producer. And because of a man by the name of James Michael Getz, he made it happen. And his, uh, he became, he is our executive producer. So this album is because of James Michael Getz and Rodrigo Rios, two guys in my life who just put it together and said, here, we're going to do it and you're going to do it. You're going to sing and we're going to do it together. Big shout out to James Michael Getz and Rodrigo Rios for making it happen. I would love to talk about um, this memoir you have coming out soon. I mean, you've had such an expansive career doing so many different things. Um, Can you give us some of the highlights that your memoir talks about? Well, it's about me. It's about my life. I was born and reared in Detroit. That was my hometown. I left and I went to New York when I was 18. Uh, I never went to college. I graduated from high school. Hey, that's good. (laughs) And and then I went to New York and that was my college. And I got, I landed my first record deal with ABC Paramount when I was 19, I think either 19 going on 20 or 19. I think I was 19. It was got pretty early. I got my first agent, booking agent uh, when I was still, I think still 18 or maybe 19 at the same, because my booking agent had a lot to do with me getting the record deal as well. And his name was Sid Ber- Sidney Bernstein. Sid Bernstein became a very well-known agent because he's known as the agent that first brought the Beatles to America. So he's kind of a big deal. He was a big deal and he was, but he was a good man. 
uh, oh God, he was, he was like an, he, to me, he was like an angel. Yeah. Sidney Bernstein. He was my first agent. And then from there you went on and you recorded a couple albums, didn't you, before recording Band of Gold? Oh God. Yeah. I had a deal with ABC Paramount. I had a single and then they put me on their jazz label. And that was in 1963. And they had me recording. uh, It was called, the label was called Impulse. And we're talking about, they had people on Impulse like John Coltrane, you know, uh, Duke Ellington, people like that. And, and uh, a lot of other big, strictly, it was like being on Blue Note, you know, or Verve. And uh, the album was called After the Lights Go Down Low and Much More. And that was my first album ever. Now, my second album I recorded in Sweden. I was in Stockholm for like three or four months. And I recorded, I was actually working, I was working in this supper club, this big supper club called Burns. And um, while I was there, they wanted me to do an album. So uh, the guy named Don Gardner, he was from Philadelphia and and another and another man by the name of Leif Madison. He was a, a Swede. He was Swedish, and I recorded an album. It was called Free to Pain in Stockholm, and it was not supposed to be. It was only supposed to have been released in Sweden or Europe. And after Band of Gold became a hit in 1970, honey, that album showed up all over the place. <laughs> But anyway, then after that, my next album I recorded was on the MGM label. And that was in 1966. And I was being managed by um, uh, Clarence Avant. And Clarence Avant, by the way, is known as the Black Godfather because they still have his documentary on Netflix. It's been on Netflix for quite a while now. And his name is Clarence Avant, and he's the one that uh, uh, became, they, they called him the godfather because he became such a businessman. He was known to make such deals, uh, amazing business deals, and he was a maneuver and a, and a mover and a shaker. And at one point, he was even the CEO of Motown Records. I think this was during a, a short period back in the, like in either the late 80s or the early 90s. And... Um, he is the man who discovered Bill Withers and, and Bill was on his label when Bill wow. started having mostly all of his early hits. And he's discovered other artists as well, but and very, very close friends with Quincy Jones. They were the, be- the best friends, one of the, one of the close friends. Uh, so that was six, 1966. And then finally I recorded with, Invictus Records, and that that was 1969, and then Band of Gold came out in 1970 on Invictus. Right. Now, what did you think about um, having this R&B hit, even though you were originally trying to pursue a jazz career? I looked at it as being a strategic career move because I wanted a hit. I figured, right. I figured, I don't think I'm going to get a hit singing jazz. I, and I'm looking at these other women, these other girls who are out there having hit after hit after hit. Dionne Warwick, you know, she, her hit started in the 60s. Um, Diana Ross, you know, all these people. I said, I guess I better sing. I got to sing something more commercial to get a hit. And that was my that was my attitude. That was my thought. Those were my thoughts. 
and that's how it came to be. Now, you also had some, you had a talk show, Today's Black Woman, and you were in a couple Broadway and theater productions. Yes, Um, I was. Right. So can you talk about some of those things that you were involved with? Well, I did a Broadway show. Uh, the only time I did Broadway, but I did it, I was, it was called Hallelujah Baby. And that was 1967 when I, of course, when I was living in New York and uh, I, I was Leslie, Leslie Uggams was the star of the show. It was, it was built around her and I was her, I was her understudy and I was, uh, she had other understudies before me, but they never really got a chance to do the show. And I was the only understudy to ever go on. And I actually, I went on in that role, lead role on Broadway five times. So I can, I have it to my credit. I have played a lead role on Broadway five separate times. That's pretty impressive. Not many people can say that. No, no. And then what else I did today's Black Woman, that was in 19... 81 and 82. I did that for two years. And that emanated from New York. And then we actually, they had me come back out here to LA because by that time, in uh, I had bought a home in uh, LA up in the Hollywood Hills. And I got that, I bought that house in 1974. And we actually did a few uh, location shots right in my, right at my house, right inside my house on Blue Jay Way in uh, here in LA. Oh, we had Natalie cool. Cole. We had, I had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I had Natalie Cole and people like that. Do you have any crazy stories from traveling? You mentioned that you traveled quite a bit throughout your career. Do you have any crazy stories from any of these places you've been to? Well, some of the crazy stories I would rather reserve or wait till somebody reads it in the book and they'll see how oh, crazy okay. it got. that's good to know uh, everybody go read the book yeah and uh, then I talk I talk a lot about my different romantic involvements in my life and that's another one another juicy thing that's in the book is about my uh, love life I've been in you know Europe I've been in the Orient and Japan um Oh, I I went in 1964. I played, uh, that that was my first time going to Japan and that was for the Tokyo Olympics, but it wasn't for the Olympics specifically. I was booked with the Bob Crosby band and we were booked in Japan and it was the very beginning of the Tokyo Olympics, 1964. So uh, the hotel we were staying at, it was brand new. It was called the Tokyo Prince. And a lot of people were uh, that officials that were there for the same thing were staying at that same hotel. And uh, of course, the athletes weren't staying there. They had their own they had their own village where they stayed. But uh, yeah, I was there during that ho- during that time. And I was with the Bob. Bob Crosby was being Crosby's brother. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that that experience of traveling cool. with the band, another band. And um, of course I got a chance to sing with Duke Ellington's band when I was 17. And uh, I've also toured and worked with Lionel Hampton, another another jazz great. And um, 
I got a chance to sing with Count Basie once. It was in Detroit at Cobo Hall. And I got to uh, sing with that band. And uh, there was a local band in Detroit called the Jimmy Wilkins Band. And they were very highly regarded and respected. They were like uh, Detroit's own Count Basie band. And that's when I, I used to, he used to hire me when I was 14, 15 to sing, you know, on certain gigs with them. Like at the, there was a, a place, a banquet place called the Latin Quarter that was located on uh, West Grand Boulevard, right off Woodward. And they would, they would be hired to play for di different functions there, you know, formal functions. And Jimmy Wilkins would hire me uh, to be the band singer to come in and do a, a couple of songs. I think he paid me like 45 bucks, <laughs> <laughs> if that much. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Frida. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for the Bite Size Jazz podcast. Thank you for asking. You've been listening to Frida Payne talk about her album, Let There Be Love. If you like what you heard, you can find the full album anywhere you stream music. We also have a link in the episode description along with a link to Frida's website. And if you're enjoying the podcast, go ahead, subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening on right now. Or you can also sign up it's for our newsletter and get these episodes sent directly to your inbox. Head to bitesizejazz.com to learn more or hit the link in the episode description. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz. Nothing.